It's Friday, September 3rd. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The demand for deworming drug ivermectin has been surging to more than 80,000 prescriptions per week. Pharmacists have been reporting shortages of the drug, which is used in small doses in humans to treat lice, scabies, and other parasites, but most commonly used in animals. Emma Goldberg, reporter at the New York Times, joins us for the surging demand despite studies showing that it does little to treat COVID. Next, are you traveling this Labor Day weekend? Make sure to check all the COVID mandates of your destination. The CDC has said if you are unvaccinated, you should not be traveling. But some estimates say that as many as one in five Americans will be traveling over the weekend. The main thing to prepare ahead of time is to have digital proof of your vaccination record. Allison Poley, travel reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for more. Finally, retailers are very worried about the holiday shopping season as pandemic-related delays continue. Factory shutdowns, computer chip shortages, and clogged ports are gearing up to leave stores with emptier shelves and consumers with higher prices and longer waits for shipping. Abba Batarai, national retail reporter at The Washington Post, joins us for how September is the new December when it comes to holiday shopping. If there's something you want, get it now. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Ivermectin that is intended for animal or livestock use, uh, and uh, it is not to be used for uh, human consumption. The drugs intended for veterinary use are made with higher doses of the medication for use in large animals and can be highly toxic in humans. Joining us now is Emma Goldberg, reporter at The New York Times. Thanks for joining us, Emma. Thank you so much for having me on today. Wanted to talk about ivermectin. We've been hearing a lot about that in the past couple of weeks. People uh, trying to use it as a COVID treatment. It's actually a drug used to treat parasitic worms, mostly in animals. Uh, there's some limited use that they've been doing it with humans uh, to treat lice and other things like that. But uh, this has gained popularity uh, so much so that patients are acting their doc- asking their doctors for ivermectin to treat COVID. So, Emma, tell us a little bit more about this. Yes, so that's exactly right. We are seeing a trend across the country in which prescriptions for ivermectin are sharply on the rise. Earlier in August, they jumped to a number of more than 88,000 prescriptions per week. And that's up from a pre-pandemic baseline average of 3,600 per week. So that's a huge rise in people who are being prescribed ivermectin. And the important thing to know here is that it has repeatedly failed in clinical trials to help people infected with coronavirus. So there hasn't been quality evidence confirming yet that ivermectin works either to treat or prevent COVID. How did this get started? You know, where did the popularity of it come from that so much so that patients are acting, asking for it? And, and even the doctors, some doctors are actually prescribing it out. It's one of those things that is quickly spreading on social media in a lot of Facebook groups and on Reddit. There's been a lot of attention to ivermectin. What physicians and researchers are most concerned about right now is people actually taking the veterinary formulation, which is often at dosages far higher than are appropriate for human consumption. And in some cases, then they are overdosing and they are calling poison control centers, reporting all kinds of problems, including nausea, diarrhea, a lot of other issues. So the real risk here 
in particular is around people taking veterinary formulation. But then again, it also, even the, the human formulation has not been approved by the FDA to treat COVID. So physicians are saying that people should not be seeking this out to treat and prevent COVID right now, um, since there's no indication that it's been approved by the FDA for use. To your point, in Mississippi's health department said that earlier this month, 70% of their calls to their poison control center had come from people who ingested ivermectin that they got from livestock supply stores. So people are going out and seeking the animal version of this. That is exactly right. People are going out on their own and seeking it, and that is at great risk to their health. I spoke with a toxicologist in South Texas who said that while in 2019, the poison control center where he works received just 191 calls about ivermectin. This year, they've gotten 260 calls just to date. So they're on pace to reach 390 calls about ivermectin by the end of the year. That's a huge jump up. And he said the vast majority of those are people who are, like you said, going out and getting it from livestock supply stores. Tell me a little bit more about the drug. When were you first introduced to this? It apparently won a Nobel Prize for medicine as well. Yes, that's right. That was in 2015. And and that was for the discovery of the parasitic diseases that it can combat in humans. And actually, it's, it's been around as a veterinary drug since the late 1970s. The key thing here is, yes, it's been shown to work for things like scabies or parasites in humans. It has not been shown to work for COVID. And there have been a numerous trials evaluating it. There's 31 trials ongoing, but so far we don't have any quality evidence that it does work for COVID. So those prior discoveries were around its effectiveness combating parasitic diseases. Tell me a little bit more about some of those studies, because in one of them, I guess they found that ivermectin really is no better than a placebo at preventing hospitalization or prolonged stays in the emergency room. So, I mean, it's not working at all against COVID, basically. That was one of the largest trials to date that was called the TOGETHER trial, and it was halted by the Data Safety Monitoring Board on August 6th because the drug ivermectin had been shown to be no better than a placebo at preventing hospitalization or a prolonged stay in the emergency room for people with COVID. And I spoke with a person who led the study, Dr. Edward Mills at McMaster, who said that they actually would have discontinued it earlier had they not known about how much public interest there was in ivermectin. But he did say there was no evidence it turned up that ivermectin helped any more than a placebo at preventing hospitalization. You know, I saw the stories about ivermectin going around since last week, maybe a little before even. And it was just, I don't know, it's crazy to think that something like this could get traction so quickly when we do have vaccines that are readily available and do help prevent the severe illness, the hospitalizations, all that other stuff. And I guess that's what, you know, health officials are really worried about is that uh, these things do gain in popularity and people are taking them in doses that they're not supposed to be taking. And obviously it could lead to bigger problems. That's one of the core things that physicians are really worried about right now is people are going and seeking this out as a form of possible prevention or treatment. There is a highly effective COVID vaccine. We know those work. The FDA fully approved the Pfizer Biotech COVID vaccine last week for people 16 and older. An approval of Moderna's, a full approval is expected in the coming weeks. So we have the vaccines. And Dr. Erwin Redliner, um, a physician in New York, what he told me is that's the only functional strategy we have for getting control of, of COVID-19. It's vaccination. So that's really one of the concerns physicians have right now is if people are going out and seeking drugs like ivermectin where we don't have evidence they work instead of taking the vaccines. And we, we do have a lot of evidence around the vaccines. I spoke with a pharmacist as well who said he simply doesn't understand 
why people are coming in and seeking out ivermectin, which hasn't been FDA approved for COVID, when we have the vaccines which have. Emma Goldberg, reporter at The New York Times, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on today. Some advice that travel agents provide is to have digital proof of your COVID vaccination on your phone. There are apps for this, or you can just take a picture with your smartphone, scan it onto your iOS or Android device and make sure that it's there. Joining us now is Allison Poli, travel reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Allison. Thanks for having me. Labor Day is upon us, and a lot of people always use that opportunity to travel Some estimates that I've seen say one in five Americans are traveling over Labor Day weekend. The CDC has said that if you are unvaccinated, do not travel. And then obviously extending all sorts of other warnings for people that are vaccinated, even just be careful out there. But Allison, you you wrote an article talking about uh, all the different mandates and rules surrounding travel right now. There's a lot of different things from showing your vaccination, your proof of vaccination, negative tests, all sorts of stuff. So, Allison, help us walk through some of it. What are travelers, what should they be expecting? Yes, unvaccinated travelers, the CDC advise not to travel. And for those who are vaccinated, they'll need to check local vaccine mandates as well as mask guidance before arriving at their destination. Because travel agents say the advice is changing daily, if not hourly. So some advice that travel agents provide is to have digital proof of your COVID vaccination on your phone. There are apps for this, or you can just take a picture with your smartphone, scan it onto your iOS or Android device and make sure that it's there when needed in case you do encounter a restaurant or another indoor venue that's asking for proof of vaccination. Now, that's one of the questions I had because uh, I know there are a lot of apps out there, you know, put your information in, might give you a QR code and all that stuff. But is just a simple picture enough? I know a lot of places aren't really checking. They just want to see it really quick and and just to make sure everything's on the up and up. But a simple picture is enough. A simple picture is enough. Yes, that's correct. A lot of health department websites say that they will accept a photo and you can just have it scanned into your notes app and that should be sufficient. Now, I know there's a lot of different rules, obviously, as as we've been talking you know, do you have to be vaccinated to eat indoors? Different places. New York is a a very popular Labor Day destination. They are requiring at least a proof of one dose that you've had or, or full vaccination before you can eat inside, right? Yes, that's correct. Proof of at least one dose for a ton of different indoor settings. So restaurants, movie theaters, concert venues, museums. And I'm based here in New York City. And when I've gone out to eat, they have checked to make sure that my CDC vaccination card matches my ID. So a lot of the restaurants are taking a little bit of a closer look. Yeah. San Francisco is also requiring full proof of vaccination. Vegas is a big Labor Day destination. What are they trying to do there? So the state of Nevada requires face coverings to be worn indoors in counties that have high transmissions. So that does include Clark County, which is home to Las Vegas and inside casinos. Masks are required. How about outdoor destinations? Because I know a lot of people take the opportunity to go to national parks, things like that. I know those can get pretty crowded as well. What's the uh, guidance there? Yeah, so last month, the National Park Service said it would require visitors to wear a mask inside all of the Park Service buildings, but also in crowded outdoor spaces. And that's regardless of whether you're vaccinated or not. 
And then uh, music festivals, obviously a big one too. Same thing. I've seen a lot of them actually be canceled, you know, as cases are rising yeah. and different, you know, different situations are happening, obviously. But a lot of them are already, you know, telling their people that are coming, you know, you got to show that proof of vaccination. A lot of indoor concert venues especially require proof of vaccination or a lot of times they'll accept a negative test as well in order to go to a show. But you'll just want to stay up to date with some of those big music festivals. Bonnaroo, which is in Manchester, Tennessee, was just canceled because of the flooding caused by Hurricane Ida. So be sure you're checking those music festival sites before you head out. International travel is a big question mark. I have not, have not seen too many people going that route yet. I was looking to see maybe schedule a vacation at the end of the year. And I looked at the CDC website and pretty much every location <laughs> across the world is like a level four, basically the highest level of COVID awareness. Don't travel. How is that playing out? Yeah, there are advisories for a lot of countries now. And just this week, the EU took the United States off of its list of safe countries, which means that visitors from those countries aren't typically subject to additional quarantine requirements. But we're even seeing that change now. So just this week, Italy, people are planning on traveling there. Italy is requiring U.S. travelers to provide proof of a negative test taken within 72 hours. That's regardless of vaccination status. And for people who are unvaccinated, they need to quarantine for five days. Allison Poli, travel reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks again. There's just been one hit after another. And now with Delta, there have been even more port closures and factory closures in Asia that have sort of stalled the process even more. Joining us now is Abba Batarai, national retail reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Abba. Thanks for having me, Oscar. Retailers are getting pretty worried right now what the holiday shopping season could look like for them. The pandemic has obviously impacted the economy in so many different ways. And one of the things we talk about a lot is supply chain issues and just shipping from overseas, how everything has kind of been delayed. And right now, they're not seeing much good news. It seems like we're going to have emptier shelves, uh, longer waits for things that you're ordering, and higher prices all around. So, Abba, tell us what we're seeing out there. Absolutely. It's a continuation of what we've been seeing for several months, but... All of these different things that you mentioned, the factory closures and the labor shortages, the material shortages, prices going up, all of that is coming to a head this holiday season. Um, I've talked to a number of retailers who say, you know, they placed their orders earlier than ever this year. Like they knew there would be some disruptions along the way. So they thought they were prepared. But there's just been one hit after another. And now with Delta, there have been even more port closures and factory closures in Asia that have sort of stalled the process even more. To be talking about the holiday shopping season so early, it seems a little weird, but even some of the companies and uh, that you've talked to say, hey, September is the new December. If you're seeing something that's important to you right now, get it now because there's no guarantee that it'll be there when you're doing that holiday shopping. You know, retailers always want people to shop earlier than later, but this year, I mean, I think there really is concern that if there's something specific that you want, it might not even make it to shelves. And even if it does, it's probably going to sell out pretty quickly. There's just so many things up in the air. One toy company I talked to said that they have nearly 2 million toys that are stuck in China in ports and factories and warehouses there. And there just aren't enough shipping containers to get them across the ocean 
And the few shipping containers there are cost like 10 times the normal rate. So even if they do make it here, the prices are probably going to be a bit higher. And so what are some of the other big retailers? You mentioned Walmart and Home Depot in your article, and they're chartering their own ships so that they can get some of their products in. So the big guys are able to charter their own ships. Amazon is buying up its own cargo plane. And a number of other companies are switching from ocean freight to air, which is about 10 times more expensive. But they're doing that for key items, you know, maybe lightweight shirts that they know are going to be popular this season or just sort of trendier key items that they really need to have for the holidays because it's so expensive to do that across the board. Yeah, that's what they're a lot of them are signaling less options. You know, they're going to slim down the things to their key items and hopefully make their money there. And shipping times are doubling as well. Tell me a little bit about that. But I wanted to just lead off with, you know, you mentioned the article too, how the U.S. Postal Service last year was in a huge bind and delayed by a bunch. And people were saying that they were receiving holiday mail as late as April. But even still, the continuation of this is that these shipping times are just going to be pretty bad. I think we've all sort of learned during the pandemic that two-day delivery doesn't mean two-day delivery anymore. And shipping times... When everything else is working normally, shipping times have roughly doubled during the pandemic, 15 days by air and 90 days by ocean. But there are just so many snags along the way. You know, maybe the ports are understaffed or there aren't enough shipping containers. Or once they get to the warehouse, maybe there weren't enough workers to unload the trucks in time. So, you know, it's really many retailers are saying they've been waiting months for items that they ordered late last year or early this year. And uh, as I mentioned, the, the high, fewer options, the higher prices, the fewer deals as well, promotional deals are going to be happening. Everything kind of gets passed along, you know, down the line, right? If they're paying more for a shipping container, they're going to have to charge more uh, at the retailer. The retailer is going to have to pass it on to the consumer. Tell me what we're going to see there, because we're seeing all sorts of stuff, you know, the higher prices, but also some places are charging COVID delivery surcharges, a bunch of stuff. So prices are up across the board. Prices have risen about 5% from last year in terms of inflation. But we're also hearing from toy makers like Mattel that they're going to raise prices in the next few weeks before the holidays. And so we're going to start seeing prices inch up. But on the other side of that, we're also going to start seeing retailers offer fewer discounts through your promotions. The deals are just not going to be as good as they have been in the past because, like you said, they have to make up for these increased expenses somewhere. So was all this just kind of a temporary thing? Because a lot of the people you spoke to say this is really going to reshape shopping patterns, Uh, obviously starting earlier and maybe after the holiday, you know, cashing in on those gift cards and things like that. But is this going to be a long term effect that we're going to see? That's up in the air. We're not sure. I mean, that's that's sort of been the challenge here is many retailers are trying their best to maybe diversify their supply chains and move their factories from China to Cambodia or Vietnam. But we just don't know what the long-term impacts are going to be, either on the supply side or on the demand side, because consumers aren't feeling all that great. Consumer sentiment is at a 10-year low. So that's the other part of this equation, is that even if the products make it to shelves, are people going to be willing to buy? And we just don't know. Abba Batarai, National Retail Reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. 
This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.